Just a couple of days ago, Sean Paul posted some updates on social media. One said this, A big tip from this week changes our satellite dates. We are now adding August 10th and August 11th to our search criteria. We believe the creeper was there earlier than the dates we previously released. New evidence suggests he was first there on Wednesday or sooner even. So go back and check dash cams again, please. Any car, sedan, or smaller vehicle coming or going off FR 4651, just off Loop Road up in South Mesa. And one more thing, we want to know who the couple was at Woody's that Crystal played pool with. We want to question everyone, please. I want everyone, I want the hikers, the bikers, the jeepers, I want everyone to think and, and, and double check your dash cam and remember the girls were missing on the 13th of August and found on the 18th of August. Over two weeks I probably got 30 or 35 clues and you know maybe only four or five of them were not really good clues. For GeoWertz, I'm John Gully. And you're listening to Speaking of Crime. Crystal's cousin Diane shared a lot of new information with us last week, and much of that information has also been confirmed through the private investigator Jason Jensen. We spoke with Jason once again to see what more he could tell us, to fill us in on some details, and to find out where he is with this investigation. We now know we're searching for a 9mm Turkish gun. There's a report that three firearms were stolen in Cortez, Colorado, weeks before Kylan and Crystal were murdered. A businessman reported that his guns were stolen from his camper in late June and one of those weapons is quite unique and could match the unusual silver bullet casings found at the scene of the crime. The three stolen guns included a 9mm Sarzelmaz handgun, a Mossberg 308 bolt-action rifle, and a Turkish shotgun. Jason said, What he reported was a Turkish 9mm was stolen, and what he's talking about is a custom 9mm. The PI is looking for any tips, information, or transactions involving any of these guns. And in addition, information related to any other 9mm gun that has suspicious overtones or activity. He said that in small towns like Moab, everyone knows everyone else's business, so he's hoping someone will have information leading to the 9mm gun. Ultimately, we're all hoping we're looking for the murder weapon, whether that's in the possession of the killer or he's disposed of it already is unknown to any of us so hopefully at some point somebody says something to somebody and that gets you know word out to the police or to me or to the families but what we're doing is we're looking for any nine millimeter gun since that was the type of murder weapon we're looking for any any suspicious story or backstory concerning the gun you know or if someone was selling a innocent seeming gun anything to do with the nine millimeter from august 14th to the present because it's small town communities um you know we don't know whose gun it was but we would like to find when there is a nine millimeter oh i just bought that and he had to get rid of it that's a good story to follow up on so 
We don't know, but at the moment we had a businessman come forward and he identified that three of his guns were stolen, a shotgun, a 308 bolt action rifle, and a Turkish nine millimeter that was shared by Sean Paul. So, you know, it's already out there, so there's no harm talking about it here. And, and the reason why we're looking for it is that's just another story of a nine millimeter. If, big capital IF, if it was the stolen gun that was used in the murder, and then that gun subsequently is sold, that's why we want to find out, because we want to trace the history of the gun. If we identify a serial number matching that of this businessman, then we know what the history of that stolen gun was and who stole it. And then when, if we put some link to Kylan and Crystal, then we know that this may be the murderer. So any nine millimeter story we're interested at this point, as innocent it seemingly is, just any nine millimeter story we're curious about right now. question has also come up time and time again, whether it could have been two perpetrators versus just a single person who committed the crime. I definitely feel it's a, a single individual because of what I do know about the weapon. You know, it's not like there was two different guns involved with two different kinds of rounds. So if it was two people with the same gun, you're still going to have different ballistics. So there's nothing to, to reveal that there was two guns involved, just a single shooter, especially with the with where the victims lie. You can tell they went after one and then went after the other rather than both were being shot simultaneously. The question was also brought up on social media about whether or not Kylan and Crystal had any guns of their own. A member of the Facebook group asked Sean Paul, and he replied by saying, Oh, God, no, they did not. I wish little Chris did. Might not have helped. Who knows? Sean Paul also spoke about the creepy guy saying this. The girls saw him creep through their camp the night before. I think he was just going to do something then. They probably thought it was just some dumbass and didn't worry about it because he left. But he came back just as they were going to town Friday evening. We all wish they would have moved then, but the girls didn't feel a true threat. They sensed something, but could never have known he was a frickin' murderer with huge vengeance. Who and why? Maybe someday. For now, we mourn. Last week, Diane shared how Kylan made the comment to her friends that she wasn't too worried about the creepy guy because there were two of them and only one of him. Unfortunately, as we know, the killer was able to take over the situation. You know, you've got one armed individual and two unarmed people ready for bed or just woken up from bed. There's little they're going to do and they're thinking, oh, as long as we're compliant, as long as we're 
doing as we're told, maybe the scary guy will leave. But, you know, if, if a killer has intentions to kill, you don't know that until he starts his acts. So anytime you're in that situation where, where I've been trained, where my mindset is, I'm going to fight or flight right off the bat. I'm not even going to try and negotiate with the guy because you don't know where his mental state is. You don't know if he's out to kill you regardless. You know, you could give him the money if he's robbing you and he could still shoot you. We also learned that the cell phone that Kylan and Crystal had, and most likely shared, did not have cell service and could only be used when they had a Wi-Fi connection. They didn't have an active cell phone account, so the only time that they were able to make calls and whatnot were like at McDonald's with the Wi-Fi. And what about the cell phone that was mentioned in the search warrant? Do we have any updates on that? There was a cell phone found, I mean, and... uh, some people have come forward, like uh, there was uh, Cindy Sue Hunter that believed that the phone that they're talking about was Kylan or Crystal's phone because she saw a phone inside the tent. But, you know, law enforcement aren't going to do a warrant on a phone that's a victim's phone. They're not going to make a big issue of it. So this phone most likely was found out in the soil and Cindy Sue didn't like explore the whole place. So. I think she's just the one that's mistaken. I believe the phone was recovered at the time that they processed the crime scene. Otherwise, it would be out of context, because what they described in the warrant was that they found uh, shell casings, they found a cell phone, and so then they requested a tower dump. It sounds all related to the suspect, because that's what they're trying to identify through the power of subpoena or the, the warrant, and not you know, like corroborate that it's one of the victim's phone because that's not going to reveal who the killer was. Have law enforcement stated who the phone belongs to? No, they haven't revealed any information like that. So they're going to keep that close to themselves until they're issuing an arrest warrant. The search warrant regarding the cell phone in evidence requested cell phone companies to provide cell tower records for all cell tower activity in the area and specifically for the tower located at Jimmy Keene Flats from August 13th to August 15th. The warrant states that said property or evidence was unlawfully acquired or is unlawfully possessed, has been used or is possessed for the purpose of being used to commit or conceal the commission of an offense or is evidence of illegal conduct. Affiant believes the property and evidence described above is evidence of the crime or crimes of murder conspiracy to commit murder, tampering with evidence, sexual assault, desecration of a corpse, rape. The search warrant was issued on September 20th, 2021. So there may be a need to update the requested dates, considering the new tip that Sean Paul mentioned they now have. It was not clear who the phone could belong to from what we read in the search warrant. There was also that key fob that was found back when Sean Paul collected information at his clue booth. Did that ever lead to any suspect? Is there any update on that? That was dispelled as being related to this long time ago. That particular set of keys, Sean Paul had already identified by searching the logo on the key, found out which gym it was, contacted the owner of the gym, found out who was the user of the membership, contacted the member and found out that he camped there on the 20th 
two days after their bodies were found and probably the day after the crime scene was cleared. Last time we spoke, we discussed the 17 suspects that were on the list. Can you share any updates with us about them? Yeah, some of them were were pretty easy to eliminate from the list. You know, some of them are on the list, even though I feel that they're eliminated, like Brian Laundrie, I see no connection whatsoever, but he's on the list because I cannot rule him out. Uh, John Colt, he, you know, has the mental state and certainly the, uh, the drive to commit a crime like this. He certainly fits the profile, except for he was two and a half hours away. He started his job on the 12th in uh, Torrey, Utah. So how can he be starting a job on the 12th and then still be committing a, a, a murder two days later? And there's no report that he left the area. But he owned a motorcycle, right? It wouldn't be a long drive. Oh, true. But remember, the people that were, the person that we're looking for was camping there. So if he's the creepy dude that's camping there, he's not 200 miles away at Torrey, Utah. Kylan and Crystal didn't say he left for two days. No, they report that he was there the 12th and the 13th. So there's no way it's him if he's in Torrey, Utah, working. Did anyone confirm that John Colt was, in fact, at work on those days? The media actually released that information. There was a detailed grand jury release to the media talking about his timeline, and he certainly was working there. So there was really no reason for me to go reinvestigate the guy if feds have already done that part. Talking about Brian Laundrie, do you know where he was on the two days in question? I mean, there's clearly a gap as far as stuff that's available to the public. We do know that they were stopped in Moab on the 12th. We assume if if they followed their instructions, they were separated and Gabby picked him up from the Bowen Motel on the morning of the 13th. Where they went from there, we don't know because the next time we have information on their timeline was on the 16th in Salt Lake City where she was at the Fairfield Inn. So where were they from the 13th to the 16th is a mystery to me. I'm sure law enforcement knows because they've traced their digital footprints, I'm sure, with the, their phone carriers or their their, uh, bone, uh, their bank records. The police ruled him out long ago, I mean, early on. The, the only reason why I can't do that is whatever information that they relied on to exclude him, I don't have access to, so I don't have the same luxury of saying he's off my list because if it was cell phone data that eliminated him because it showed that he was three hours away during the time of the murder, then that makes sense. Of the 17 suspects, how many have you cleared? A good majority of them. On social media, you see certain names keep popping up over and over and over and over, and They've been interviewed by law enforcement several times. Uh, the information that they provide does not match the crime. So, you know, if you're saying so-and-so was killed in this method and it doesn't match the victims, then, you know, it's not related at all. They actually, the night before they are murdered, are concerned and said, if something happens to us, we were murdered. And they say in jest, but they still said it. You know, you're not thinking it's somebody else. In fact, it's what? So the murderer walked past the creepy guy to commit this murder and 
And then the creepy man just disappeared? No, I think the reality is the creepy guy was the murderer. And if it's not, he certainly hasn't come forward to clear himself by his own silence. He's implicating himself. But if he was free of this, you know, like he left the day before, for instance, why not come forward and clear your name before you're spending the rest of your life in prison for murder you didn't commit? We wondered if there were any cameras in the surrounding areas that could have caught the killer's vehicle on camera. No, no, it's it's all wilderness out there. So there's not any cameras out there. That's why we were requesting uh, information for uh, seeking satellite imagery from private satellite companies. So, you know, that's what we're hoping to find is that there was an image taken from either the 12th or the 13th to show the color of the suspect's vehicle, or if it's high enough resolution, even determine the make and model. And since the creepy guy had a car and reportedly left and came back, what about checking cameras at the nearest gas stations? Under normal circumstances, yes. In fact, that was one of the first things I did when I got on the case. But I wasn't on the case until two months after the crime had been committed. And when I went and confronted the different uh, gas stations, that information had already been overwritten. They, they didn't have any available video anymore. So if law enforcement requested that stuff early on, great, because they have it already. If they didn't ask for it, they'll never get it. We were a little shocked to hear Diane say last week that there were about 10 to 15 gunshots. Do you know how many times Kylan and Crystal were shot? I don't have the freedom to share that information. Clearly that was something that was available to the family. And I think that uh, too much detail kind of risks the integrity of the prosecution. So, I mean, just use your imagination. Clearly the reason why there's all this different angles is the guy pulled them out. They're standing there. All of a sudden they start shooting. Um, so, you know, you're gonna turn around and try and run away. So that's what happened. When we spoke to Crystal's mom, Beverly, she had mentioned wanting to get the autopsy results. We wondered if that is something the family can get access to. I would imagine they're not going to make that available because there's critical evidentiary value for that. That type of information would only go to the family after litigation started, after they've identified a suspect where it's safe to do so. But if... uh, Beverly calls the medical examiner, they will share information over the phone. Jason reached out to Woody's recently, and unfortunately, his inquiries were not welcomed. He said that Woody's declined to speak to him, and not in a polite manner either. Rather, they were quite rude. 
He chalks it up to Woody's being bombarded with too many people asking questions. We also learned that the friends Kylan and Crystal spent their last night with asked them to come back over on Saturday evening for dinner. Unfortunately, the girls never made it back down the mountain to join their friends the next day. We do have some good news. There actually may be an opportunity to get satellite images, contrary to what Diane shared with us in last week's episode. Immediately after our episode aired last week, Diane sent us a message stating that there now was an opportunity to get images of the crime scene the days leading up to the murder. Then, Sean Paul took to social media and stated that a big tip they received this week leads them to believe that the creepy guy was at the campsite earlier than we had previously thought. He may have been there on Tuesday, August 10th, and Wednesday, August 11th. New evidence suggests he was first there on Wednesday or even sooner, giving us even more of an opportunity to find satellite images that show his car or himself. Sean Paul urged the public to go back and check dash cams again and look for any sedans or smaller vehicles coming or going from FR 4651 just off Loop Road up on South Mesa. A company called Skywatch claimed that they had the two days and we're just waiting for the details. In addition, Mark McGarry, a professor and retired engineer who has extensive experience with satellite images, was interviewed on a YouTube show and walked the audience through how he uses Earth Explorer to obtain satellite imagery. He has been looking into satellite images of the crime scene and said he has multiple images that he's working on cleaning up to be able to view details in the images more clearly. Jason took on this case pro bono and has been dedicating much of his time doing everything he can to solve it, not only working on the investigation and the influx of incoming tips, calls, and inquiries, but also many media appearances to get the word out, and even working with his four-legged partner, Lily, to help solve this double homicide. We saw that you went to the crime scene with your canine, Lily. Can you tell us more about that, and what is Lily's role in the investigation? Her role was pretty limited. She's trained to search for human remains. Well, there's no deceased people there. They were already processed and the scenes already cleared. What I was out there for was not necessarily to have her find any human remains, but she was accompanying me and I was looking to see if there was other things left at the crime scene that wasn't picked up during the original investigation by law enforcement. So I took my metal detector and was looking to see if I could find additional uh, shell casings, stuff like that. Were you able to find anything? No comment. Okay, so how do canines learn to search for human remains? And how do they know which scent to look for? It's instinctive for dogs anyway to smell something that piques their curiosity. So everything from smelling other dogs to, you know, what they leave behind them, they just naturally gravitate to scent because their noses are 40,000 times more sensitive than us. So any smell attracts their attention where we can overlook it. Like, for instance, human bone. I mean, we're talking completely sun-bleached human bone. We can't smell it, but a dog sure can. But the only time that we can smell death is when it's still 
like roadkill, we can smell a dead skunk or we can smell something on the side of the road that's been there for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. But dogs can pick up the scent even if it's already dissipated into the soil. So the, the, the trick about training a canine dog in HR, which stands for human remains, is you're rewarding them for finding that specific scent or set of scents so that they learn to seek it out because they want that reward. Like for instance, uh, Lily's ball is ball motivated. So she knows if she finds that scent, she's gonna get her reward. She's gonna get to play ball. The trick though is how do you find the human remains to teach your dog to focus or concentrate on those scents? And I'm blessed that I have friends that are in HR and I have friends that, uh, operate you know dna lab so i can leave a sock with them and they put it in the storage locker with all the the scent of all the other samples that they're going to dna test and it naturally sucks up that smell and then i can use it for training purposes or i have human bone that's been powdered it's no longer has any forensic value so i can get that for training purposes now you're just focusing on specific scents that your dog is learning to be rewarded for once they find it. And, and since we started training, it's almost daily that we go out and she just thinks it's fun. Jason shared that he believes the killer was a stranger to the girls and not someone they would have known or recognized from around Moab. He went on to say that it's human nature to refer to someone by their name if you know or recognize them. If Kylan or Crystal had known who the creepy guy was, they would not have referred to him as the creepy guy when talking to their friends, but rather referred to him by name. So how close are you to solving this case? Oh, I feel we're getting really close. Unless, of course, the leads that I'm pursuing end up being a dead end, but you don't know until you hit that dead end, right? It's inevitable that he will be caught. They did a cell phone tower dump. If he has a cell phone, if he even turned it on, it would register on that Jeremy Flats tower, and he's going to be busted. It's a matter of time. It could be Will's already in motion today. And then... Uh, you know, if there's any other connection to the site, he just had. So he might as well come forward, have a good weekend, turn himself in on Monday. It's an active homicide investigation. So we're working on some things. I'm sure law enforcement is working on some things. But, you know, it's nothing for, you know, public ears. So I can talk to you about stuff, but not necessarily, you know, definitely would be off the record. Sean Paul posted some heartwarming statements on social media that give us a glimpse into how he's doing and his wishes for Kylan and Crystal. In one Facebook post, he wrote, I heard something very interesting yesterday. An old man whose kid was murdered was quoted as saying, 
The murderer ruined my kid's life. I'm trying like hell not to let him ruin mine. This goes for me and my surviving children and our entire family. But I'd like to share that sentiment with all of you. Please, don't let our tragedy ruin your love light. That's our whole point. We want Kylan and Crystal's love light to shine. So follow their example of love, not the killer's way of hatred. We will be trying to have a good holiday. You all should too. And in another, he says this. Love you, hippies. We are trying to catch the bastard so you girls can rest in peace. Kylan and Crystal, I hope you have a wonderful heavenly Christmas with Mac and Blake Sinead.